Welcome to Humanizing Marketing. Hey, everyone. Welcome back to the Marketing Cloudcast. I'm Marty Kine, and I'm virtually here with my friend and co-host, Tina Rosil. Hi, Tina. Hey, everyone. Hey, Marty. Hope you are well. We are now in our fourth episode of our Humanizing Marketing series, and we have a very exciting topic that is on everyone's mind. It's all about artificial intelligence, also known as AI. Yeah, it's a topic that's really near and dear to me personally, right next to CDPs, probably my second favorite topic. (laughs) And that is artificial intelligence, as you said, or AI, machine learning, and how they can be applied to digital advertising, digital marketing, marketing in general, to help people create genuine, authentic customer experiences. Sometimes AI, I don't know about you, Tina, but it can sometimes feel like a black box. You put data in one end and then out the other end, something appears and you're not really sure what happens in the middle. But our guests today, fortunately for us, understand what's going on and they're going to shed some light into what what is actually happening in the black box and discuss why we can trust the output. Absolutely. We are looking forward to speaking with our wonderful guests. But before we do, let's hear from Nick Gerner, CEO of our incredible partner for this series, WordPress VIP. Simplicity is a critical capability because it opens up, it democratizes who has access to the technology, who has access to the tools. And in marketing now, the more we're able to sort of distribute who has customer touch points, Honestly, the richer the customer experience gets through a lot of this. So we think this like simplicity is really critical capability that might be often overlooked. So we're happy to talk to a friend of ours, Armita Paymandus, later in the show. Armita is VP of Product Management for Salesforce Marketing Cloud, where I work and where you work, Tina. And she's the product leader who oversees the AI machine learning products and features that we at Salesforce call Einstein. Yes, we are looking forward to speaking with Armita. But first, we will talk with Melinda Hahn-Williams. She is the chief data scientist at Distillery. For those that may not have heard of Distillery, they use AI and machine learning to help companies with their digital advertising campaigns. Now, Melinda has a very impressive background. She received her PhD in applied physics. She also worked on solar cells and energy efficiency at the National Renewable Energy Lab before she moved to focus on data science and how that impacts advertising. It's quite fascinating. So, Melinda, welcome to the show. Thanks. Happy to be here. So I've met other physicists who end up in ad tech and martech. Uh, How does that leap happen? What is the appeal? The appeal for me was, I mean, I was looking at my options and I should say, like a lot of people will ask me, what draws you to marketing or what draws you to advertising? And it wasn't anything about those fields in particular, except for the fact that the data is so amazing. And when I was just starting to understand what data a company like Distillery has access to and what you can do with that data. For one thing, you can't get a data set like that in academia. You can't get a data set like that unless you're paying for it because it's just so much data and so expensive to collect and to store. And so if you want to be able to play with that data and learn from that data and like learn new techniques, you need to be at a company that's collecting it. And then advertising was such a cool area because it was such a greenfield space. And so that's that's where I went and it's been a, it's been a fun ride. 
So what is, uh, at a, at a kind of high level, I mean, what, what basically is data science? What does a team like yours do every day? I think it's still quite a squishy term, even though it's been mm-hmm. around for some time now. I would say that data science is when you solve business problems and business challenges with data, usually in a way that's forward-looking, and usually it involves prediction or machine learning or AI. And that sort of like forward-looking and prediction aspect is, I think, what mainly distinguishes it from, from analytics, but sometimes the line is is blurry and, you know, at every place kind of defines it differently. I think that's that's kind of my pocket definition of what data science is. What is artificial intelligence? How is it different from machine learning? And is it as prevalent as uh, marketers seem to think? That's That's a great question. And it is really prevalent. So artificial intelligence, I would broadly define as anytime a computer is making decisions on its own. There's actually like tons of different fields within artificial intelligence, but they all kind of fit under that definition. A computer is making informed decisions on its own. Machine learning is one flavor of artificial intelligence, and that is when the computer is making these informed decisions on its own, on its own and it's doing it from finding patterns in data. So it finds patterns in data, learns something, and applies it to a new situation to make an informed decision on its own. And the reason why it's so prevalent and why we've been hearing so much about it lately is real. It's because it's been exploding. And the, the thing that's been exploding is machine learning. That's the main type of AI that's really taken off in the last... 10 or 15 years, both because there's there's so much more data everywhere and then because computational power is just much more easily accessible. And so our capabilities to learn from patterns in data and apply them to make decisions have increased in this crazy way in the last 10 or 15 years. It's really real that it actually is showing up in like, you know, your home appliances now are, are making informed decisions on their own from finding patterns in data. It's a, it's a real thing. Now, in terms of this past year, so, you know, we had a very strange year and uh, the last 2020 going into 2021, were there any sort of changes that happened in the past year to either the way that you worked or, I don't know, to your to your field that you weren't expecting when you sort of started 2020? Yeah, 2020 was a very different year for everybody. I mean, for yeah. all of us and for those of us in digital advertising, it was an interesting year. In addition to COVID and everything else that was happening, at the very beginning of the year, we got the news from Chrome that they intended to stop supporting third-party cookies sometime in 2022. And so that sent a huge shockwave through, through the industry. And for us at Distillery, what we do is we reach people on the internet. We identify who should see an ad for a brand, like the best prospect the best potential future customer for that brand. And a huge part of how we do that is using third-party cookies. And so this was a really important existential question for us because I spent the entire year thinking about 2022. My whole way of thinking about life just moved into this completely future-looking, just barely caring about today, just planning for 2022 to the point when I got to the first week of 2021 and sort of showed up to work at home remotely and sat down to do my job, I realized, wait, I hadn't thought out at a minute about 2021. <laughs> we need to figure out how we're actually going to do what we're going to do in 2020. I've been completely focused on 2022 for all of 2020. Do you have any thoughts on what 2022 will look like? What, what will ad targeting look like and measurement? So there's a lot of sort of potential solutions in the works. Like now, you know, now we've had a year to two on this. People have a lot of ideas and a lot of plans. And Pretty much all of them are a new ID. 
So like we got this news from from Chrome and we actually also got similar news from Apple. So we're sort of getting all of these signals from the market that default always on anonymous IDs are not going to be a thing that you're going to have anymore. Like rethink, rethink how you do everything. And most of the solutions are a new ID that has most of the same functionality and gets us most of the same things and is better because the user has fully consented and, and has maybe a better understanding of the deal that they're getting into. I think adoption for those types of solutions is going to be a really interesting thing to look at. Even now, today, not much more than half of the people on the internet on a browser have a cookie. So to think that you could get anywhere near that with a new type of ID that you have to actually opt into and probably give up your email address, I think is is ambitious. So maybe you get someone who's willing to do that. How many of the websites they visit are they going to do that on? And so instead of thinking about like this space of all of the users out there and how am I going to reach all these users, you think about just all the ad inventory out there, all the digital ad inventory. I think probably a really small percentage of it is going to end up actually having these new fancy IDs that have all this functionality. And so a really important place to be looking is beyond like, yes, we should look at these new fancy IDs. They're probably going to be cool and useful. Also, we need to have a solution or brands, marketers need to have a solution for what to do with that totally unauthenticated inventory uh, if they're really going to have any chance of of getting anything like the sort of scale and performance and, and reach that they're used to today. So all that aside, in terms of data science and marketing now, is it a good time to be a data scientist in the marketing and advertising space? Is it a growth industry? I think data science definitely will continue to be a more and more prevalent thing in marketing and advertising. One thing that I think we'll see change with data science and AI in, in marketing is so far it's kind of been about big data. And now with the planned deprecation of third-party cookies, that represents like a big decrease in the amount of data that's going to be available and the granularity of data that's going to be available. So we won't probably have as much of the sort of detailed log level data that's available now. I think it'll shift from how to make the most use out of that small amount of data and how to squeeze the most information out of the data that you have. Because everyone is going to have less data. Like that's, that's going to be a change that everyone is going to be dealing with. And so the new game is how do I make the best use of that data? But it's still a worthy challenge for a data scientist. Yeah, and it's honestly fun to have a new challenge. What advice would you give to marketers around the world who are trying to lean into both having the right technology, having the right data information? Like, as a data scientist, I feel like you have a purview into the best of the best data and insights, right? So how can marketers be more empowered to know how to move forward juggling these two things? That's a good question. And I I think the core of it is to make sure that you understand your goals and to make sure that you're asking the right questions to get to your goals. In using AI in any kind of business application, really, I think one of the most common pitfalls is optimizing for the wrong thing or just asking the wrong question. AI can be a really powerful tool that in some ways it does exactly what you tell it. It optimizes for exactly what you ask for it to optimize for. It can be like a malicious genie. You know, you get exactly what you asked for, but maybe that wasn't what you meant. So the most natural thing to do is to optimize for the thing that you can measure. Clicks are the easiest thing to measure. And so for a long time, that was like the main thing people optimize for. But it turns out that doesn't mean that that's actually correlated to your real goals of actually driving real purchases of your product or actually converting more people to, to like your brand. 
And, and if you kind of dig into what's going on with clicks, there's lots of different reasons people click. And a lot of times it's not what you were hoping for as a brand. And so I think it's really important when you're adopting any kind of new solution that's based on AI or machine learning to understand, like, don't forget the big picture and the real goals. Um, there's probably going to be proxies in there along the way to the goals where you're, you're measuring one thing in place of something else. Just make sure that you examine them and, and keep checking on them and make sure that they make sense. And then this becomes an even bigger problem as you pass work around a company or pass work down the chain. So I've worked with someone at an agency before where, you know, they came to us and they're trying to reach their customer and what they're trying to optimize for is clicks. And we have the conversation with them. We can, we can do that for you, but that's really not going to be the best to actually drive sales of your product. And this person says, I know, but my boss's boss wants clicks. So can you just do the click thing? So it's, it's sort of, I mean, it's almost a bigger management lesson about when you're passing on work that if the broader goals get lost, it can get you in trouble. Um, but in, in AI in particular, because it's such a powerful tool and it, it will optimize for the goal that you, that you set, then you should make sure it's actually aligned with your real goal. That's a really great reminder. I think that we all could take to heart, not just in our professional lives, but also our personal lives as well is we've learned that you only have so few many hours in a day. And if you're not intentional with the direction you're trying to grow your company or you're trying to reach your goals, everything else is just extra. And it's not going to, you can have the most sophisticated AI capabilities or technology, but if you don't know why you're using it in that way, then it's a lost cause. Totally. Even, I mean, I thought you were going to say just managing your day, like you could show up for work 10 hours a day. It doesn't mean you're getting your job done. <laughs> doesn't mean you're doing anything productive. Yeah. Well, you know, the seven habits of highly effective people, one of them is to begin with the end in mind. And it's a good reminder, figure out what your goal is. Yeah, it is. I'm so in awe of your background and the things that you've accomplished in such a short amount of time. As your tenure as a data scientist, as you look back, what were some of the highlights and things that stick out to you? And is there any advice that you can share of your learnings along the way for our listeners? The advice I would give from the perspective of both a data scientist and a data science leader is to ask the right question and optimize to the right thing. And on the topic of sort of connecting with your audience, you know, in a, in a marketing context, the who is really important. And like everybody knows this, like all marketers know that's part of what they need to consider when they're trying to, to reach and connect or trying to grow their brand. When you say who, you mean the customer. So is that in terms of segmentation or even deeper than that, trying to understand where they're coming from? Because our theme is humanizing marketing. So we're trying to be respectful of the person. Yeah. Well, like, I think when I first heard it, I, or like when I, the first time I heard that term or people talking about things like that, it sounds kind of like it's about message and creative and that kind of thing. But just as important as what the message is, is who you're saying it to. Are they receptive to that message? And, and what's the ideal audience? And that's kind of, that's the perspective that I bring to that question of humanizing marketing as someone kind of in the business of, of thinking about the audience and finding the right audience and, and how to reach them. There's kind of some different aspects to it. There's like, who's the right message for your brand? Then there's different audiences, maybe even for the same brand. So most brands have some notion of segmentation and of different people that are um, maybe going to respond differently to different messages. And so they have this challenge then to give those different messages to the right people in a way that still feels consistent and authentic. So there's another view of who that I think is worth talking about. And this comes back to the, the question of IDs and like what 
technology is available to reach this who that we're talking about. So at Distillery, you know, who is kind of our wheelhouse. And the way that we've always thought about it is in terms of an ID that we can address either on a computer or on a laptop or a tablet or device or TV or whatever it is. The decision that we're making is based on this view of the user that we have over time, because there's some kind of ID that they have on their browser and it's been collecting sort of different touch points over time. And that builds up this historical view of who they are. And now as we're rethinking how to reach people in an age when IDs are less available or there's different types of IDs available, it's made us realize there's another conception of who. So, so one view of who could be this like historical view that takes into account who you are in the context of like everything you've ever experienced. And the other view of who is who you are right now in this moment and what you're focused on right now and what are your intentions and mindset in this moment. And so this is an approach where you totally ignore the person's history and you're trying to reach someone with this message by inferring as much as you can about their intent and their mindset in that moment by what they're doing right now. So what content they're consuming, what time of day it is, maybe what kind of a device it is. It's a different view of that person, like a snapshot view instead of a historical view. But I think in some ways this might allow for a more human connection because you're meeting them in that moment. So like I'm a data scientist and I'm also a mom. And if you try and talk to me about one of those things while I'm doing the other, it's just annoying and not useful and distracting as, as I've learned with remote school. <laughs> so I'm going to be more receptive and engaged if you catch me relative to like the moment that I'm in right now and my intent in that moment. I feel like we're used to thinking, well, if you really want to think about who you have to think about like the full richness of the person and like all of the different things they bring and all their different perspectives from all their different experiences. I think that all of that baggage can get in the way of this other version of who. Absolutely. And that's the really the background of why we wanted to create the series of humanizing marketing. I think we can easily get lost in the shuffle or the noise. And so it's, it's both data and empathy, right? It's knowing that the data is telling us this, but being mindful and empathetic of how we actually interact with that person. Absolutely. And it's really easy to let the data get in the way of the empathy by getting distracted by some random metric where there's, there's a version of it where you you support your ability to, to make that connection by using data to understand when is the right time to make it or who to make it with. So we talked a lot about what's happening right now with AI and how to really best create these humanized marketing moments that are meaningful and empathetic. How do you see that evolving over the next year, or even the next three to five years, considering there will be more change, there will be more pivoting, how can marketers lean into more unknown? Coming at this from the side of who, which is kind of where I'm coming from, there's some conflicting forces that we're going to see play out. So more inventory and ad spend is moving to addressable mediums. But at the same time, there's going to be less one-to-one addressability because of the changes in availability of IDs. That's sort of one part of the conflict. And then the other part is that machine learning is just going to keep getting better. It's been getting better this whole time. It's going to keep getting better. And so we're going to have better personalization capabilities, better abilities to sort of understand exactly who someone is and what they're, what they're up to in the moment. And then at the same time, maybe there's less consumer appetite for that kind of extreme personalization. I'm not sure. It could be more appetite or it could be more comfort 
Like I've heard more and more people say they actually appreciate ads being interesting if they're going to have to look at ads. But at the same time, there's a point where if things are too personalized, you know, people don't like that. So that's like another point of conflict for like how, not just how can we reach people, but how should we reach people in a way that they're going to be receptive to and not just like reject as it as too invasive in some way. So let's move to our rapid fire. For this past year, Melinda, you know, this uh, year of remote work and lockdown and all that stuff and social distancing, have there been any silver linings for you? It's been nice to be able to have lunch with my husband, just like a small little thing. And and he and I have worked over different jobs, worked blocks away in Manhattan for years and years, and during that time never managed to meet up during the day. So it's a cool thing to be able to to just have lunch in the middle of the day. Do you have any routines that help you? Or habits that influence and drive who you are? This sounds like it should be one of those CEO questions where they say, <laughs> I wake up every morning at 4.30 and get on my Peloton and then like, you know, I read two novels and all of stuff <laughs> like that. Trying to think of something like that makes me feel extremely undisciplined. But when I think about things I do every day that, that are a part of who I am, I definitely, I have a, a four-year-old. Every day I get out of bed and get her dressed and every night I put her in bed and sing songs to her. And that's, that's, that's a nice sort of grounding way to, to begin and end. After this pandemic is over, where's the first place that you want to travel to? Or is there any particular activity that you want to do? I am waiting to see my mom and for my mom to get to hang out with my kid again. Well, thank you so much, Melinda. It's been a great discussion and it's a very interesting topic, uh, artificial intelligence, machine learning and marketing and advertising. There's a lot going on, as you said, a lot of developments behind the scenes and uh, a lot to look forward to, I think, in the coming years. So thank you for helping us to understand your perspective. And we are very, very excited to welcome a friend of ours, Armida Paymandoust, who is VP of Product Management for the Marketing Cloud. She's the ACE product leader who oversees the Einstein products and features in the marketing cloud. Einstein is a label we put on all the exciting stuff that uses machine learning and artificial intelligence. And Armida will explain that those things are related to help marketers do things like, you know, when um, when's the optimal time to send an email or what content to include in your message, things like that that we'll discuss. So, Armida, welcome to the show. Thank you so much, Marty. It's so nice to see you. Thank you, Tina, for including me. Um, and I really appreciate the super kind words and the introduction. It's always great to talk to you. And where, where are you located today? I'm in my bedroom in San Francisco. Northern California, <laughs> living the Silicon Valley experience. I love it. So um, can you tell our listeners a little bit about what you do day to day and how your career brought you to this role at Salesforce? As you mentioned, I look after our Einstein product and features for Marketing Cloud, which cuts across our different applications that we have in marketing. And we help build out-of-the-box features and functionality that use machine learning and AI and help the marketer get more efficient and more effective at their job. Before coming to Salesforce, I was actually working in advertising technology. I was working on building systems that helped automated bidding, forecasting, and ensured ad spend was optimized, mainly for search engine marketing campaigns. So I've been doing machine learning and AI-based smart tech, ad tech uh, systems for some time now, 
And prior to that, I was at Stanford and my academic work and research is on optimization technology, which comes in pretty handy in the ad tech, martech world too. Machine learning and AI just, I think, are so fascinating because it always gets better and smarter over time. I'm really curious, have our marketers lean into that? Because now with us going through the pandemic, marketers are really thoughtful now about what they're spending their money on, how they're doing their marketing. Have you seen a change or pivot in people trusting or being smarter with using AI and machine learning? Yeah, I think you basically hit that right uh, on the nail because a lot of budget issues or everybody going digital this year, what has happened is that we're looking into how we can all be more efficient. And these are, you know, basically assistants that are embedded in our technology that make the marketer be able to do their work in a much more efficient way. You know, they already picked the best time to send as an example, but they couldn't do it at each individual person and customer level. So having the machine come up with that for them is great. It's also, you know, we have customer stories there as well with uh, customer success stories there with customers like Orvis who went all in and just looked at what was available to them today out of the box and how could that make them more efficient and make them, you know, reach their customers in a more humanized way, really, to really be able to reach them with the content that resonates with them. Uh, Orvis is focused on outdoor activities, and this past year, outdoor activities have been a huge hit, right? So just telling them about stories and ways that they can go about and take advantage of the outdoors in a way that was really resonating with each customer. So having the content that's getting to each consumer completely optimized based on what they like, what they've interacted with before, and what are the new things that they can do and what what are the new offers that they can take advantage of as well. So that um, what they shared with us was that that really improve their efficiency to the point that they could get their content out in the hands of the consumers six times faster. I have to ask you, do you see a day when robots have replaced people in the marketing team? (laughs) Yeah, that's a common question, isn't it? I think (laughs) when we talk about AI, when we talk about machines, automations, and all that, there's always a question of, are we replacing humans? Are we taking away jobs? And I think we're way far away from that, mainly because, you know, the whole artificial general general intelligence is not, which, which basically makes the machine as smart as human, is nowhere close to reality. And especially in the case of marketing, marketing is really a combination of art and science, right? And the creativity of humans is really important in this process. So... What I see uh, machine learning and AI helping the marketer do is really just to make them more efficient at the job that they already do. You still need to also use it potentially for scaling and reaching every customer with those humanized interactions. But the creative side is still a huge, huge part of marketing. Yeah, Tina and I are relieved to hear that. Thank you. (laughs) But you know, I I really like how you articulated that because I think that is a misunderstanding for some marketers, especially in some of the more or less mature markets is there is almost a level of, I don't know if trust is the right word, but just unfamiliarity to the 
uh, possibilities and opportunities to amplify and enhance their marketing. And I, could you share with our listeners, you know, what are some of the misunderstandings of how people are using AI? Because I think there's a trust issue to some groups of people who think that, you know, to, to Marty's point, like robots are going to take our information and use it in a distrustful way. So what are some of those things that we can debunk? No, that's totally fair. We actually did a, a full-on user research on this recently, and trusting the machine came up as one of the major roadblocks for some of the teams to get started on some of these items and testing it out, right? So I think some of it is enablement, some of it is like education and making sure folks know that this is not a robot running around, it's just, you know, um, software tools that you already take advantage of. But under the hood, they're using math. That's basically all it is, right? And then the other part of it is just to uh, have an open mind and experimenting. So, you know, using uh, some functionality and some automation and seeing what you get out of it. Those are the teams that we've seen a whole lot of success with, that they're willing to test things out and measure the outcomes. And can you share with our listeners, too, you know, what is actually at risk if they don't lean in? and start using AI and machine learning because looking at the future of how we can enhance, be smarter, more efficient, it's, it seems like a no brainer that everyone should be using AI. So what is at risk if they don't start to lean in? What's at risk is really not meeting their customer expectations, right? Because the customer is right now, they really expect the marketer or the brand to really know them, to understand them, to know what their intentions are, what they need in that moment. And when you have a lot of customers and a lot of data about each individual customer at hand, it's pretty much impossible to not have a tool help you out, understand each individual and understand how to interact with them uh, on the right channel, at the right time, and you know with the right content to get them engaged. So I think the ones that don't lean into some of this automation and taking uh, taking advantage of this are potentially going to you know be left behind because they are not meeting the customer's expectations. That was part of our original thought around the concept of humanizing marketing. We started with the idea of personalizing marketing, and that is meeting customers' expectations and needs in a moment with the right content, as you said. And over the past year, you know, we've had a diff- we've all had a difficult year. We've learned to be more human, more empathetic, I think. And marketers have had to listen probably a bit more. Can you tell us, Armita, just from your point of view, both as a marketer and as a person, what have you learned over the past year that's informed your helped you? do a better job or inform the way you think about product and AI? Yeah, I think empathy, to your point, is very important these days, right? Uh, To understanding how to interact with your customer base with empathy and understanding, you know, that that could come from different ways of interaction with them. It could come from different emotional tones that you're using while you're writing the copy. It could come from, you know, sometimes less is more. Maybe just don't uh, send as much offers to them when you know they're in a pretty stressful situation and only engage with them with things that are interesting to them and meet their intentions and needs. Things we have done around that in the past year is that we've also focused on bringing emotional tone classification into messaging and journeys. So that helps the marketer understand what kind of emotional tones they've used in the past, for example, for subject lines, 
and which ones are resonating with their customer base. And hopefully that will help them, you know, use more of those emotional tones going forward and making sure that, you know, they're not, for example, creating a lot of fear of missing out on an offer if that's not working out. Uh, and they're, you know, trying to create more joy and create more engagements with their customers. So what would an example of tone be? You said joyful. Um, are there, there are other tones used in marketing, like serious, playful, jokey. Are those examples of tones? One of the common tones used is basically, rush, you're going to miss out this particular offer that's going out, right? And that creates that, uh, you know, fear of missing out, for example. So it's, a, it's an annotated with fear. So, you know, depends on the campaign. It might make sense to highlight the urgency there. But otherwise, you know, it might also, you know, take away joy from the end consumer. How do you see the capabilities of AI and machine learning evolving? And what does the future of AI machine learning for marketing look like? There's a widespread and maturity right now along the marketers, probably advertisers who've been using machine learning for a long time now are a little bit ahead here compared to other types of marketers. Basically, I think what we will see with time is maturity and getting comfortable and understanding that where machine learning and AI can help the marketer and where they can, where the human is really needed for their creative insights and planning around different offers that they need to get out. What are some of the gaps that you see marketers who may not be using AI or machine learning to its best of its ability? Like, how can they narrow that gap? Yeah, I think they can narrow the gap by looking at when is it that they're making a particular decision that's a little bit too wide of a brush stroke, if you will. So if they're assuming that their consumers are all interested in a particular offer, that will always be hard to assume, right? Unless you have a a particular shoe drop or whatnot, as some of our customers do. When you're painting your customers all with one big brush stroke, that means that you haven't had a chance to dig deeper into the data and find and understand them at scale and customize or humanize every particular interaction with them. And I think the best way to do that is to start small, right? Because to also build that trust that we were talking about earlier, right? So uh, maybe just take 10% of your budget or your sense and see, hey, how else could I potentially optimize this? What are the functionalities that I could do here to make sure that I'm not using that broad stroke to paint all of them with all of my customers with the same color and then go from there to learn more? And I think you articulated a good point. AI and machine learning is not like a magic wand and everything is amazing all of a sudden and efficient. It's you have to start with the data and you have to know what are the basic non-negotiable ways in which they want to be engaged or the basic information in which you want to be able to connect with them. And then from there, that's the humanizing magic that AI can start to enhance. And then from there, you can just optimize or make changes in how they engage. But that's really where the magic happens and how you can connect with your your audience. Yeah, right on. Because AI is just like magic. It can seem that (laughs) way. It is. It does seem It is. It can. Okay, so Armida, we uh, we have some questions we like to ask our guests in no particular order. 
So if you had a little version of Armida there, uh, just starting <laughs> out your career, mini Armida, uh, is there any advice you would give her? I think just, you know, think about uh, learning as a continuous thing. It goes on and on in life and be open to change. You know, uh, I think I've had multiple different roles, different career, making sure that you're open to that. Are there any silver linings looking back at what you've been able to do during the pandemic? I think just time with family, honestly. I have two little kids at home, so it's uh, it's obviously quite chaotic, but the time that I get to spend with them is, is the silver lining. Great. Well, thank you so much, Armida. That was a great tour through Marketing Cloud, Einstein, products and features, and a little bit around machine learning and AI and how marketers are using it. I think it's just the beginning of that journey. So we can't wait to see what happens. And thank you again for joining us here. Thank you so much for having me. This was really fun. Appreciate it. Thank you to our two wonderful guests, Armida and Melinda, for that great tour of learning more about machine learning and artificial intelligence and really how marketers can use Einstein to enhance their campaigns. And I personally am very glad our jobs won't be replaced by AI anytime <laughs> soon. I think that would make it be very difficult to humanize marketing if robots were running around running the show. I will definitely take an AI assistant, which I think we can all benefit from in the future. And that is it for this episode. We learned so much. Make sure that you tune in next week as we cover a topic that goes hand in hand with today's episode talking about AI. It's talking about data ethics and the ethics behind using artificial intelligence. Of course, we can't talk about one without talking about the other these days, AI and ethics. We have a conversation with Sheila Warren who is the deputy head of the Center for the Fourth Industrial Revolution at the World Economic Forum and is a member of the advisory board for Data Ethics for All, which is an organization focused on the ethical use of data and something called inclusive AI. Don't miss it. Yeah, that definitely was a great conversation and definitely one you don't want to miss. We want to give a heartfelt thank you to our friends at WordPress VIP. Thank you for partnering with us on this series. And thank you to our editing partners at Trendy Minds and our wonderful friends, Connor and Sachin, who work tirelessly behind the scenes to help bring this series to life. Have a great week, everyone, and see you next week. Thanks, guys.